Well, happy Sunday morning to you. For those who are, uh, this is your first time, we want to say thank you for coming. And we are excited. Over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be circling up. We won't, we're going to invite you to connect into a group. Uh, so we have group link, and we believe here that circles are better than rows. We believe that's really important with what we learn here uh, in rows, but we begin to really apply that really well in circles. And so we're going to encourage people to circle up. And we do this six times a year, and we really encourage you to circle up this fall semester. Well, with all that being said, we're continuing our series, The Human Condition. And, and regardless of your relationship level, regardless of, of your income level, regardless of any of that stuff, we want you to know a couple things, that this series is for you. If you are breathing, this series is for you. Regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus, or maybe you have yet to have a faith in Jesus, or, or maybe for you, it's regardless of your income level, your education level, if you are human, this series is for you. And by condition, this is what we mean, it's the state within which we operate, exist, and live. Our human condition is to live in the tension of the gap that exists between who we want to be and who we actually are. And I think for some of us, we, uh, we, we know that there's a gap. Right? We know we're supposed to respond a certain way in a circumstance or a situation, and we fail to do so. For those of us who are parents in the room, we, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to miss the mark. We, we know what it's like to, we know how we're supposed to respond to our kid in a situation, yet we fail to do it. We know what it's like to be, uh, we make a commitment as a spouse, and we have not always lived up to the commitments we've made. Maybe for you, it's the decisions that we hoped to make when the opportunity arose, and then when the opportunity arose, we did not make the decision we thought we would make or we wanted to make. And there's a gap there, and we've all felt this gap. In fact, the self-help industry has exposed that gap, and they have made billions and billions of dollars because of this gap. And last week, we explained what that gap is. Here's what this gap is. In, in Romans 7, this is what Paul, and he writes it perfectly and relatably of why we feel this tension of that we miss, we miss it. He says, I do not understand what I do. <laughs> it sounds so right. That might be our new light verse. I don't understand what I do. I do not understand what I do. And Paul's describing the confusion that human beings experience as a result of their own behavior, of his own behavior. I mean, the phrase literally means this. What am I producing? I don't know. He knew as a follower of Jesus that he was supposed to produce. He was supposed to work on behalf of God. And he, he, he just realized that because of this gap, I'm not producing like I should. Have you ever had those I don't understand why I did it moments. That's what he's talking about. It's like, I can't believe I did that. That doesn't make sense. I can't believe that I said that. I can't believe I didn't call a time out there. I can't believe I actually DM them that message. And the reason why there's so much confusion is because there's intention. There's a hope. There's a desire that we're not producing what we want to produce. What we intend to do doesn't happen, and we don't do what we intend to do. So he continues, he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do. Before Dr. Seuss, there was Paul. He's saying, listen, it's not, 
even I don't do what I want to do, it's this. I, it's more like I end up doing what I hate. I end up doing what I don't want to do. The things I said I would never do, the things I told my kids to never do, the things I promised I would never do, those are the things I find myself doing. And even if you're not ready to talk about what we're about to talk about, and we're going to, it's sin, and, and sin is missing the mark. And in fact, we all experience it, and we've experienced this since we've been kids. It's the moment we realize that you crossed the line. You went too far, and you can't come back. It's when you experience guilt and shame. You feel like you're out of rhythm with other people and with God. All of that is sin. See, the literal translation for sin is missing the mark, and the mark is God. It's his expectations, it's his commands, his desires for you, for me. And Paul wants what God wants for Paul. And there's a huge change that happens as we follow Jesus by believing and trusting in his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And by living in us, our desires begin to change. Our wants begin to change. We begin to find things that are unsatisfying. And anything that moves you and I away from God and towards ourselves, that's sin. In other words, it's choosing my way over God's way. And God provides us this gift in a conscience to know where to turn. And the reason why there's confusion is because there's intention. And so... He writes, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. He begins to label what this gap is, and he calls it the sinful nature. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. He's saying, I want to do good, but I find myself keep doing evil. And we're going to find that God, and we found last week, that God defines what is good because he by very nature is good, which means he cannot do evil. The thing that makes us different than God is that we are made in God's image and likeness. However, we have the sinful nature because of Adam. Sin is a cancer in all of us. It's a human condition, which means that, yes, we are capable of doing good, but we are also capable of doing evil because we have the sin nature. And Paul's saying that's the thing that's the things I'm doing that I don't want to do. And not if I don't want to do what I don't want to do, but it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. And we talked about this last week that we often think about sin as, as the verb. It's the thing that we do. But he's saying, no, man, it's more than that. It's not just a verb. It's also a noun. The verb sin is a symptom of the real problem, sin, the noun. Paul's saying this entity, it, it lives in me. And he's not making excuses. He's just trying to explain what's going on, why he's missing the mark. He's explaining why there's this gap and the tension that he's living in this gap is because of this sin nature. It's this entity whose soul desires to reign over your heart and over your mind to wreak havoc in our lives. We learned last week that the only hope is Jesus. Paul writes, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the word delivers means to be set free from the authority of our sin nature. You and I didn't do anything to save ourselves. Jesus did it all. 
Jesus did what you and I were unable to do, what we couldn't do, and he was willing and able to do what we couldn't do. He delivered us from the tyranny of sin so that we could have a new life with a new hope where sin no longer reigns, where sin no longer defines us, our past no longer defines our future, that we have a capacity for a new life. See, that's what we have in Christ. Not only does that change our eternity, but it gives a brand new capacity to live life here and now under King Jesus. See, the power of sin over you and over me, when we are in Christ, is totally gone. The power of sin has been defeated. But that doesn't mean that we get it right all the time. Because we are still influenced by sin. So that's why you and I might be like, well, I thought my wife was in Christ. I thought my husband was in Christ. I thought my kid was in Christ. Why did they do that? Well, because sin still influences us. The power of sin has been defeated, but it can still influence us, entice us, entice me to go back into living, making a bad decision, living outside of God's will, outside of God's design. Remember, it has no authority over you because you're in Christ. However, it can influence you. However, if you and I are not careful, if we're not paying attention, it will influence us. It will continue to entice us, and it will do everything it can to pull you and I back inward and away from God. If we let it, if we let it, it will have more power over us than it actually has. Um, some of you guys knew I grew up on a farm, and I grew up uh, with tools all the time. And so my dad kind of ran the farm up in Pennsylvania, but my grandfather and my uncle actually lived down here, and they have a construction company. They do a lot of remodeling, and it's all like word of mouth. And when we were planning the church, I needed some additional income. And so uh, they brought me on and I was able to work with them. And I remember being up at Fort Belvoir and we were doing the window replacement of one of the general homes up on Belvoir. And I've, I, I've worked with a table saw a very long time. I mean, when I was a kid, they taught me how to use a table saw. So I understood how to use a table saw. I had control of the table saw for years and years and years. And so I'm in this moment, and my uncle asked me to cut a few pieces of wood. And I said, all right, I got it. Never thought twice about it. I measured it out, and I began to cut this, I guess, this piece of wood down. And so I'm going and I got comfortable. I got too comfortable. And I, thank God I had gloves on at the time because I was sweating so much. I put gloves on to kind of help with the stickiness of it. And so I pushed the board through and I was like, ah, instead of turning the board around and going the other way, I was like, I just got a little bit left. Let me get it. And man, I got too comfortable. I went through, snipped the tip of my finger. I saw, I looked up. I saw a hole in my glove. I saw blood everywhere. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And I did what any carpenter does. You get the duct tape. <laughs> you get the duct tape. There's a story in this. You and I need to stay very focused. We can't get too comfortable because sin is too powerful. 
if you and I are focused on what happened in the past and less focused on today, sin will overpower us. Maybe you think of this analogy. No one wins championships based on last year's wins. For some of us, man, we get too comfortable, too prideful, too arrogant, like, ah, I got this. And what happens? Yeah, sin overpowers us. And so this is what Paul writes. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And Paul's saying this, listen, he's using really strong language to drive home a point. He says, Our old self was crucified with Christ because it was separated from God. Remember last week that we read that our old self was in Adam, which meant that it had no hope because it was ruled by sin. And so when Christ was crucified, sin lost its power. Our connection that used to exist between us and the sin of Adam has been severed. We now are under new management. So then he writes this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so what Paul is doing, he's making a connection between what is true of Jesus and ultimately what is true of us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. This is so important. When you and I are in Christ, what is true of Jesus is true of us. He shares with us all that he accomplished. He's not selfish. So if he rose from the dead and he's not going to experience spiritual death, that's what happens with us. He shares with all that he accomplished in his victory that our old self died with him and our new self lives because of the death and resurrection. Sin and death no longer have mastery over Jesus, and sin no longer has mastery over you. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting, Paul uses an accounting term. He's like, listen, you do the math. Why would you want to go back? Why would you do the math? It doesn't make sense. It, It doesn't calculate. It doesn't make sense. The math doesn't work. And Paul writes, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. When you let something do something, you hold the power. And the problem for so many of us is that we let sin with its evil desires and intentions have free reign. Guys, sin should not get a vote on how you manage your relationships, how you manage your finances. Sin should not have a vote in how you handle conflict. Sin should not have a vote on what you think about and what you do. Because if we don't decide who's going to reign over us, our natural tendencies will take over. If we and I don't decide who's going to reign over our life, our natural bent will be towards sin, selfishness, and pride. Listen, sin killed every good thing in your life. It will kill every good thing in your life. The nature of sin, that's what it does. It kills. Remember, this isn't about being good or bad. This is about being lost or found. Have you ever wondered why God hates sin so much? 
the, the reason why God hates sin so much is because he doesn't want his kids to do things that would kill his best for their lives. Guys, as a dad, it breaks my heart. And, and every teacher in the room, every grandparent or uncle and aunt or a parent in the room, y'all know this to be true. It breaks your heart when your kid does something you've told them not to do. You've explained why, you should, why they shouldn't do it. And then they do it anyway, it breaks your heart. God doesn't want you and I to live with sin reigning over us because he did everything he did to make sure it wouldn't. See, it's up to us whether or not we're going to trust God or trust ourselves. For some of us, we doubt on whether God's way is best as we get caught up in our culture. God wants what's best for you. Paul continues, he says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Three times he uses the same word offer and the word offer means to hand over. So either we hand ourselves over to God or we hand ourselves over to our sin nature. Like, let me ask you this. Would you ever, would you ever Allow your nine-year-old who doesn't understand the value of money to manage your checkbook, to manage your bank account. Like if you're at a grocery store, you need to run out to the car. Would you ever trust a complete stranger with holding your baby? No, the answer is no, of course not, right? Of course not. Then why, you, why would you and I hand ourselves over to our sin nature? Like, why do we give in to shooting off our mouth to our spouse or our child? Like, why in the world do we give in to DMing or emailing our criticism with no plan of action? Why do we give in to watching another show when we need to work on our project? Why do we give in to thoughts of desire for another person without considering the fallout? Why do we do those things? It's because we have given in to sin. And God desires that we offer ourselves to him as an agent of living the right way or the right type of living, living right or right living for his glory that inspires people to follow Jesus. I don't want you to miss this. Where sin takes life, God gives life. Where sin takes life, God gives life. Paul continues, he says, for sin shall no longer be your master. He uses the word shall and some translations should. And what that means is we have a decision to make. Either we're going to allow God to rule and reign over our lives or we are going to have sin rule and reign over our lives. Either we're going to go back to it or we're going to run to God. See, our freedom that, that we get through Jesus is an act of grace. Like, we didn't work for it. We didn't earn it. God gives us it. We were set free from sin, from the power of sin, because of what Jesus did. So, why do we go back? I'm not an expert on the brain, but there are some neurological studies that have shown that whenever you think about something, your brain processes it one way. But when you audibly say it out loud, it goes through your ears and gets processed in a different part of your brain. This part of your brain is called the prefrontal cortex, and it processes it differently. So if you're in a moment when you get really angry because something doesn't go your way or it doesn't make a lot of sense, like getting off of 95 North and getting onto 17 and having to turn left, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You're getting frustrated. You're getting angry about that. 
here's, here's what we should do. We need to say it out loud. We literally process it, and our thinking brain will be able to process it differently, and we will have a much higher likelihood of responding in a way that you might actually want to respond. And so let's, let's sort of like, like, like practice that out. Like, think about it this. I'm not going to let VDOT ruin my day, right? We say that out loud, and we can begin to process it. Right, then I'm not going to get as, as angry or frustrated when I'm sitting there forever waiting to turn on 17. And all this traffic is backing on 95. Well, let's, let's, let's put that to our spiritual life. We could say this, sin, you are not my master. Sin, you are not my master. Christ has set me free. What, what if we said that out loud? Sin, you are not my master. And we allow our thinking brain to remember, to process that God created and that Jesus delivered us from the authority of sin. And in this moment, it's a reminder that our identity isn't sin. Our reminder is that God is not against me in this moment. It's rather that God is for me. And he's for me against my sin. It's a declaration that you and I identify more with God than we do with our sin. And so he continues, he says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. See, law required perfection. We talked about this last week. The law required perfection. And, and even Paul was like, none of us are perfect. Men, none of us, none of us can achieve what God required except one, and that was Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. We're stuck in Adam. We were stuck in Adam. No way of earning our way out, no way of getting out until God, by his grace, lifted us up because we put our faith in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross on our behalf. We now live under grace. And here's what grace does. Law required perfection. Grace creates space for progress. Following Jesus and even fighting our sin is never about perfection. We're still going to get it wrong. This isn't a journey of perfection. This is a journey of progress. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, but effort is an action. Our effort should be focused on fighting sin from right standing with God through Jesus. The best athletes are the ones who combine their natural ability, which is grace, with the discipline of training. They're grinding every day. And as a follower of Jesus, we need to be grinding every day. The reason why you and I need to be grinding every day is because God has given us, has give, has given us salvation as a gift. Grace is a gift. However, we also, just like Dallas Willard wrote, we need to put in the effort. We need to put in the discipline. So spiritually speaking, two things I want us to think about. Number one, are you spending personal time with God? Are you creating space to let him speak to you through his word and in the silence? And number two, are there actual spiritual disciplines that are playing themselves out in your life? And are you inviting accountability into your life? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful for all that you do. We're thankful for what you do in our life, that you have provided us grace. We don't deserve it. We couldn't have earned it. We thank you so much for giving us grace. But remind us that we need to be disciplined. We can't just be comfortable or too comfortable. We can't just coast. Father, remind us that you want us to work really hard from our salvation. Not for it, but from it. 
So Father, remind us to put in the hard work to grind every day. In Jesus' name, amen.